I've seen inventor pitches that were made with pieces of other toys kind of put together. So it depends on what path you want to take at the end. Because if you're just thinking, I'm just going to pitch this concept to a company like Hasbro and see if they want to take it, you can take your mock-up that you made by putting together a speaker from one toy and a doll from another toy and maybe pay for just a nice illustration of what the final product could look like. You can show them that. That will be enough. Hi, Offscripters. It's your host, Sewa Ajay Pele, and welcome to episode 93 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet the toy coach, Ajel Wade. Ajel teaches everyday people how to enter the toy industry as inventors and entrepreneurs. She spent over 10 years in the toy industry where she served as global product development and design manager at Toys R Us. And she's also held other roles in the industry that have taught her the ins and outs of costing, designing, and manufacturing toys. In like an hour, we're going to announce that we're declaring bankruptcy and this office is going to close. And I was so scared. So scary. Especially because I felt like this was such a dream job. When you walk into that building every day, the first thing you see is this giant Jeffrey. And it was like, I made it. So it was sad. And I was looking around. I remember thinking like, how are all of these people going to find jobs in this industry? It definitely made me a little bit more wary about the companies that I was going to commit myself to and my time to. During our conversation, Ajel took us through her process for coming up with innovative toy ideas. She also gave us a roadmap we can use for getting this idea to the point where we're ready to pitch it to toy companies. Before we hear the rest of our episode with Ajel, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate, and review our show on iTunes. This will help to spread the word about our podcast so amazing stories like Ajel's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off script with the toy coach, Ajel Wade. Ajel Wade, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to dig into this because we don't really hear a lot about the toy industry or how we can explore it as an entrepreneurial path. So for anyone who hasn't heard of you or the toy coach, could you share who you are and what you do? Sure thing. My name is Ajel Wade. I've worked in the toy industry for 10 years. I started off working for companies and I was like an inventor for a company. I moved to do product development for a couple of other companies. I eventually worked for Toys R Us and got to manage like design and product development. And eventually I got to the level of VP, like an executive in the toy industry. Um, and then, uh, you know, because I'm, I'm always entrepreneurial, I've always had that spirit. So I started realizing opportunities to help people that were new to the toy industry figure out how to bring their ideas to VPs and executives and make them more clear, right? So I started seeing these people at shows and events and they had these great ideas, but they didn't know how to, how to present them. Mm. So I had this idea. At first, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to work on a blog or maybe a podcast and I was like, I'm just going to kind of explain what um, executives, buyers, what we're expecting to see when people are presenting a product pitch, right? Mm -hmm. So that's where it started. That's where my mind was at in the beginning. And then it kind of evolved into 
wait, maybe this could be a business, right? Maybe there's an opportunity to teach people so that they can, you know, kind of on their own, take their ideas and know where to go to develop them, but also know where to go to present them. Mm. So eventually I made the huge big leap and I was like, I'm going to leave my nine to five during a pandemic. And then- <laughs> Well, so. <laughs> clearly what you're doing is needed. Yeah. But take us back a little bit in time. Okay. What did you study in school to even enter the field of toy design and innovation? Right. I actually studied toy design. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. There's, <laughs> there's, yeah, there's only two programs in, in the, in the country, in the U S. Um, and there's one at the fashion Institute of technology. And then there's one at Otis college of art and design. Um, so I went to FIT, the fashion Institute of technology, and that's where I studied. And they, I mean, that, uh, major teaches you everything from like, we were drawing our toy ideas and then we were in a workshop, like building them with wood and like lathe machines and like making rubber molds and pouring plastic into molds and letting it set. Like it was hard. Yeah. To, and we were even learning to do 3d modeling. So like they teach wow. you everything. Cause there's a lot of levels to the toy industry. There are so many different things you could do in it. Um, so in that program, you learn a little bit of all of that. But why toys? What made right. you think to study that? Right. Well, I always loved kids. I really did. So I actually, at first I thought I was going to be a teacher. Um, and then I thought maybe a child psychologist. And then I was, you know, I always, I feel like I feel people's emotions too much. I was like, I don't know if I could handle all that. Mm-hmm. So I was always finding a way that what career could I find that was going to bring me, you know, monetary success, but also satisfaction in that, like I'm giving back or helping kids in some way or get to interact with them in some way. So, um, I kind of just ended up at FIT in an exhibition design program. And I was focusing on kids. I was like trying to design museums for kids. And then, yeah. And then one of my, um, professors was like, Oh, do you know that there's this program called like a toy design program here? And I was like, no, what's that? So I took like a a preliminary course, like a summer course. And I was like, Oh, this is great. Like this is a real career and people really make money here. Like this is a thing. So I just took a leap after that. And it's, you know, it's been history ever since. And I I saw that you personally invented and patented three toys. What were they? Right. So, um, this was when I was working, I was actually an inventor for a company at this time. So I was working for a company called horizon group USA. And the very first patent was, um, a zip screen. It was called zip screens. Mm -hmm. And the technology that I created was this packet that holds paint. It's like a plastic packet. It holds paint and it has like a squeegee or a plastic piece attached to the back of it. So what happens is you tear off the top of it and then you squeeze out the paint and the squeegee on the back acts to spread the paint. So it's like this one-time use, like easy apply screen printing system. So it would come with like screens that you put on your t-shirt, you have this one-time paint packet, you peel off the top and you squeeze out the paint, almost like a ketchup packet. Uh And then you spread it across the screen. So that was my very first patent. And uh, yeah, I got really lucky that I worked for an employer that gave everyone credit like me. And I think there are three or four other people on this patent. Um, 
yeah, for this invention, but it's, yeah, it's so really do exciting. Do you continue to receive royalties on all of your patents? You know, you did it for a company. Yeah. You know, that's the, that's the holdback. When you work for a company, you don't get to do that. But if you do, mm. you can go the individual inventor route. And in that case, you would get royalties. That's the whole thing. But when you go through a company, it's just safer, a safer way to kind of establish yourself as an inventor. Right. Okay. And we're going to learn all about that because I want to dig into it. Okay. But so I know that when you graduated in 2010, a career in the toy industry was fairly secure. Yes. And then in 2017, Toys R Us filed for bankruptcy while you were working there Mm -hmm. as a global product development and design manager. Uh So what was going through your mind at that time? Oh my God. I was so scared. I was so scared. I, um, you know, I remember looking, I remember being in, we had like this massive cafeteria room and, and a massive, um, also like a stage that like there was actually a, a full auditorium where we were all filed in, but I was in the overflow cafeteria room mm-hmm. and he's delivering this speech and telling us like, what's going to happen. He's like in a few, in like an hour, we're going to announce that, you know, we're declaring bankruptcy and this office is going to close. And <laughs> I mean, I was so and they scared. were such a giant in the yeah. toy industry. So even yes. as a consumer, it was difficult to believe. Right. Um, Cause thinking about all the commercials. Right. Uh, when I'm a Toys R Us kid. Yeah. That's like what we all heard. And right. so to hear this behemoth declaring bankruptcy, I just right. can only imagine what it was like for you being on the inside. So scary, especially because I felt like this was such a dream job. When you walk into that building every day, the first thing you see is this giant Jeffrey. And it just oh. felt so like... And it was like, I made it, you know? So mm-hmm. it was sad. And I was looking around. I remember thinking like, how are all of these people going to find jobs in this industry? Like, I remember just thinking like, how is that going to happen? You know? And I, you know, I just, so, I mean, it, it started closing. I think they, they were really gracious. They gave us all, I think we had like two months or something where they were pretty much like, we're closing in May. We don't have like high expectations for what you're doing until then, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I think, uh, and and so you had some time to like, to go on interviews and to try to get out there, but it was hard. It was really scary and it was really, really hard. And it got me really scrappy. So I started the job I actually got after that. Um, they weren't looking for what they hired me for. I just needed a job. So I was looking at every company that was hiring and, and looking at what they were posting online. And I was like, I was like, okay, I see what they, what they do on their website and I see what they think they need, but I have a feeling that they need me. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was getting myself these interviews that I was overqualified for. And then just can basically convincing them, like, listen, like, I see what you're trying to do and I have the skills to do it, but you know, this is my rate, you know, let's talk about it, Mm -hmm. you know? And that's how I got the, the next big job that I had after that. So, so you asked for what you wanted, even though they weren't offering it. Yeah, I did. Which, <laughs> I is, sure a life did. Lesson, which is a life lesson. You have to be able yeah. to put yourself out there and sell yourself. Yes. Yes. So I'm glad you stuck with it because this is something you're clearly passionate about. But mm-hmm. how did that experience with Toys R Us impact the way you view the toy industry? Interesting. That's a very good question. It definitely made me a little bit more wary about the companies that I was going to commit myself to and my time to, because I remember really analyzing 
the types of products that the companies I was applying to were producing and where they were selling those products Mm -hmm. in a way that I'm looking like, okay, in times of recession, what stores do better? You know, like it's like dollar stores, targets, Walmart's like right now with the stores Mm -hmm. that stayed open. Um, so when I was looking for my next move, I was definitely looking like, okay, who is kind of has this like foundation of safety where if there is another drop in the industry, they have like a foothold in these more stable, you know, retailers. So I mm-hmm. definitely, it did shift me for a bit like that. I was a little scared, you know? Which now is going to help you be a survivor. Because it is. now you've been through that before. Yes. Yes. So now as the toy coach, you create resources that show people how to be innovators and entrepreneurs in the toy industry. Uh-huh. uh-huh. So please coach me. Because right. <laughs> I've always thought it would be cool to create a toy. But quite honestly, until I came across you, I never saw it as a possibility. Really? So, not really. But I think because you come with a blue and I'm like, all right, show me how to do this. Right. So as someone who knows nothing about the toy industry, could you map out who all the players are? Maybe let's start there. Oh, that's all. Okay. I mean, it depends on the category you're talking about. Okay. okay. So like if you're looking at games, you know, and it, I mean, even within games, there's so many people, right? Um, but there are big ones like Goliath, like Funko, um, and then there's like other like other bigger players that are in a different category of games. Like, what do you mean? Which is more like adult party games, you know, post mm. like kids games. Um, but then if you're looking at dolls, you're looking at American Girl, you're looking at Barbie, and you're looking at MGA, which is very different stylized why than style wise um, than American Girl and Barbie. And uh, if you're looking at crafts, you know, you're looking at well. I want to say RIP to Alex Brands because they're gone now, but they were a huge player in crafts. You know, you're looking at uh, companies like Fashion Angels, like Creative Kids, where I used to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, there's so many. You really just have to pick a category at a time mm-hmm. and try to research the toy companies in that category. So who are the players in the industry as in when you think about it from a supply chain perspective, maybe who makes up that industry? I mean, supply chain wise, you're so the toy company themselves are the manufacturers and usually they hire and partner with distributors. And then the distributors, they're usually kind of like a hush hush thing. You're not supposed to share who that, you know, who your distributors are. It's like, it's a, you know, it's a, I've found the perfect distributor. I've made this relationship. It's like, it's a little bit of IP, right? It's a little bit of company IP. Um, but then there are also salespeople. So there's these toy companies partner with individual salespeople. And honestly, a lot of these people and companies you can find if you do research on sites like LinkedIn and you do the right kind of research. Um, but the, uh, yeah, so you need salespeople to sell your toys, but then there's also buyers that you have to make happy. Now these buyers are going to be buyers that either like they work for target and they're deciding what toys are going in the aisles of target, or like mm-hmm. they might be a buyer, I don't know, Kohl's or Dollar Tree, um, urban outfitter. So they have just designated buyers for every category. So mm-hmm. the toy buyer, the game buyer, two different people. Um, so you have to form relationships with all those people. But if you're new to the toy industry and you're just looking to maybe invent, mm-hmm. one of the easiest routes to go is to license your ideas. So in that case, you're looking for people like 
licensing agents. You're looking to sign up with companies and become known in their system as an inventor and be invited into their portal to submit your ideas and your concepts so that if they like them, they will give you a royalty and they'll manufacture it for you. So you don't have to do all that work. Mm. I mean, there's that independently. You can do it independently, but there's actually growing, um, growing numbers of like agencies that are coming up. Um, one of my good friends, um, Trina McFarland, she is starting this this platform called Tinker Trini, mm-hmm. um, or, and also it's too, well, so her company is Tinker Trini. Her platform is Tinkerly. Um, and what it's going to be is a hub so that inventors can sign up with her and then kind of let her guide them in the process of making that deal then you might get to focus more on the creative aspect, you know? So that's, mm-hmm. I mean, those are some of the things that I'm trying to showcase. I, I want, basically, you know, I'm launching Toy Creators Academy. Mm-hmm. So inside of that, I want to teach people how to develop the best toys so that they're most likely to get picked up, how to make a sample domestically, how to make a sample overseas, um, how to get your pricing right. But at the end, it's all about monetizing your invention yes. and, what I want to be clear about is like, there are so many ways to go about it. And I want to be clear as like, I want to promote people like Tinkerly because I feel like if you're busy, you have another job and you just want to do this as the side hustle, maybe that's the route for you. Mm-hmm. But if maybe you're at home more and you have time to get into the manufacturing of it, I want to show you how you can do that too. And, and if you want to maybe work directly with the toy company and reach out to them and see if they want to license with you and you want to deal with that um, contract yourself, I want you to know that option is available too. So that's what I'm trying to clarify in inside of Toy Creators Academy. And that's why having a resource like you is invaluable because yeah. you've been there, you've done that, you yeah. understand who all the players are right. and how to successfully get in front of them. Yes. So I think we've gotten ahead of ourselves a little bit. Okay. But, so <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm new to the toy industry. So before I have something to pitch and sell to people, I need an idea. And I know you have a process for finding the winning toy idea. So yes. what does that process look like? Oh, I love that process. I'm actually really playing around with the idea of making an app around that process because I love oh. it so much. Right. Okay. I know I'm playing with it. I'm thinking about it, <laughs> but so I, when I first started in the toy industry, I was terrible at coming up with ideas so bad. Like the ideas I had were just not great. They were just not great. <laughs> Um, so what I figured out while, when I came out of school and while I was in school, I just figured out this process where you just have to absorb the right kind of information, the right kind of content, right? If they call it a content diet, like I'm drinking my green juice, like I need to have like healthy content that's coming in and feeding my creativity. So, um, but I actually, honestly, I get a little bit like, I like to have healthy content and then a little bit of not healthy content because sometimes they can combine and make something really great, right? Exactly. And when you play on the fringes, you are the one who's on the leading edge as opposed to with the pack. Mm -hmm. Yes, you don't. Yes. So that's one of the things that I I specify in my five-step creative process. Um, You want to go out there and learn who the competitors are in the specific category that you're working in, obviously, number one. Um, But then you want to go out and you want to get inspiration from the toy industry, but you want to get inspiration from random other industries as well. Mm 
You want to look at like, I love looking at grocery store packaging because they get really creative because they're really limited in what they can do. So sometimes Mm -hmm. at high-end grocery stores, it gets really creative. Um, Book covers or like paper um, stores have like really interesting textures and Mm -hmm. things that you can get ideas from. So I like to look at the toy industry. And as soon as you feel like you have a good understanding of who you're competing with, then go away from the toy industry and try to find inspiration from somewhere completely different. Um, and once you do that, then I like to go back to the research from the toy industry and get really like analytical about it, really type A and really break it down. I love a SWOT analysis where you're doing strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. I like to do it from the perspective of my competitor Mm -hmm. because I feel like you're putting yourself in the position of someone who's already had success so that you can start to understand why they made the decisions they made. And then you can start to understand their threats, which will be your opportunities. Mm -hmm. And you can also might even see what they're seeing as an opportunity and predict that and know where they're going next. Right. So I love to do a SWOT analysis from the perspective of my competitor. And then from that realistic though, for someone who doesn't have the background in the industry like you do. Right. Is it realistic for them to be able to put together a viable SWOT analysis? I think so. I feel like everything is online. So, so like if you want to look at strengths, right? Um, I don't know. Let's look at Barbie. So you want to look at the strengths of Barbie. You can read a history of Barbie, a Wikipedia page and learn how she was invented and why she was made. The creator made her for her daughters. And like, I think it was forties or sixties, a long time ago. Um, and you can learn why that brand is so strong. You can mm-hmm. research and see all the co- collaborations they've had. You can, you can find data even now on like Amazon for sales and things like that. You can buy data reports online. So if you're willing to invest a little bit of money into it, you can get really detailed. Mm -hmm. But for the sake of just coming up with ideas, I would just research online. For the weaknesses, you can go into reviews. You go and see what customers are complaining about online. Mm -hmm. And then you already know what their weaknesses are, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I loved your tip about looking at three star reviews because those people have a bone to pick and they will get very honest and they do. And specific. Mm -hmm. Those three star reviews, they get really specific because like there's a reason they're on there. They're not just like trolls, right? They're Mm -hmm. coming in with a real reason. Um, So yeah. And then if you're going to be looking at where we at threats, Right, threats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you're going to be looking at threats, then you have to look at who their competitors are. I guess that would probably be the hardest thing to do online, but that would be a little bit easier to do in store because you can see literally who's next to them on the shelf. Mm-hmm. Um, but then online, again, every time you shop online, they say things like, you might also be interested in this. Right. And right related there, products. Yeah. related products right there. Those are their threats, right? Um And yeah. And then the opportunities, you just kind of surmise based on all that research. So it's definitely Mm -hmm. a lot of research, but if you really want to be in this industry and you're really passionate about that category, you should enjoy the research. Like that's part of the fun, figuring it all out. 
right? So first it's do the research. What else? What's part of that five-step process to get a a good idea? Right. So after you're doing the research, you have to compile it. I'm a very visual person. So I like to compile my research visually. That's also Mm -hmm. why I'm thinking about this app idea. Um, I love to create a mood board. Um, So if you, I mean, right now we can't travel to the stores how you normally would and take pictures. Um, But if you have pictures or if you have images you've pulled off the internet, you want to compile them on a visual mood board. And a mood board is just an eight and a half by 11 sheet or an 11 by 17 sheet of paper that's horizontal so that you can spread out the images nice and big. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to title it with whatever the research is related to. So if if you're looking at competitor dolls, you title it competitor dolls or things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not familiar with like programs like Photoshop or Illustrator, you can use Canva, which is super easy and fun. Um, well, you can go very old school and, and just cut it out, cut it out and yes. paste it. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can. No, totally. Actually, I love the hands-on aspect of it. Mm-hmm. We'll definitely um, bring some new ideas to mind. And if you, you know, back now that you say that, like back in the day when we would do everything by hand and we do all the mood, mood boards by hand, you would actually take the samples that you bought from the store sometimes and put them physically on the mood board. Oh, so okay. yeah, if you're going to make like a physical mood board, you can go all out, make it even bigger, like 15 by 20 inches and put physical samples of toy products on it. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause that play of making it of positioning it and and making it fill this board can sometimes inspire ideas. So, so the, the goal is, uh, so after you do all that research and you're like in it and you've, and you've like put up your SWOT analysis and you've combined all these images. And then the thing is nobody wants to do this because they think it's counterintuitive, but walk away, (laughs) walk away (laughs) from that. You already know what you want to solve. You know that you want to make a doll, let's say Mm -hmm. Um, you've done all the research it's time to walk away, you know, go absorb completely separate content, like just what you regularly would maybe read a new book, something completely separate and come back to it in like two to three days. And in that time, and probably before that time, you're going to start to have ideas just pop up in your head and you can like Mm -hmm. jot them down, but just don't dive into them yet. Right. But your mind I've done so much research on this and your mind needs time to assess all like to, to process all of that information. Mm -hmm. And then you need to release it so that you're giving, you're kind of releasing control to your own creativity. You know, you need to give yourself, you need to believe that you've absorbed all of the information that you possibly can around this topic. Mm -hmm. You've fed yourself healthy content to inspire this topic. And now you have to trust that it's in there. Like the solutions in there, you know it, it, you're just Mm -hmm. kind of like waiting for it to rise to the top. Right. And that's literally what happens to me like every time. So I have all of this information and, and it's just sitting there. And when you come back to it after that third day, you have a fresh perspective. You know, your mind is kind of, it feels clear. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you look at the images again that you put together in your mood board, ideas will just start to pop up, you know, like you'll start to see maybe a package with a unicorn on it and be like, Oh my God, what if her horn was used as like a ring toss or like something like, like, you know, you start to pull 
if you see, if you read a book about maybe like a ring toss game and then you saw your mood board with the unicorn, that's how your brain is going to make those connections. So you need like mm. two completely separate things to happen. And then at this one moment, when you bring them all together, it'll, that's what inspires you. So when I'm envisioning in the app, I just want to have something that, you know, how you're on Instagram and you mm-hmm. scroll and those images all the time inspire me, but I understand it's because of the way that I've trained my brain to think. So I'm trying to think of a way that I can help make train other people's brains to to think this way. So, or even make an app that will adjust to fit the way that, you know, people normally think to allow them to, you know, come to these ideas in the same way to, you know what I mean? So once we've had that aha moment and we have the idea, if I'm a person doing this on the side, so I already have a lot on my plate, running a consulting practice, I have this podcast, kids, family, but I still want to do this on the side. What's my next step? Oh, there's so many things. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a lot. So you can pay for someone to do... like you can pay a consultant to do a brainstorming session with you. If you Mm -hmm. feel like you just need someone to bounce ideas off of, but you can also just do it with friends and family. Just, I I like to talk out my ideas. Sometimes when you sit with it in your head, you think you're going through all of the possibilities, but saying it out loud is a completely different experience. Mm -hmm. And often when you explain your idea to somebody else, they will interpret it differently. And then when they tell you how they're interpreting it, that will give you a new idea. So Mm -hmm. talk it out. If you pay for it, if you do it with a friend or a family, I would talk it out. From there, if you get to the point where you define this idea, which Toy Creators Academy will help you, you know, answer the right questions that you need to answer to define that idea. But mm-hmm. um, once you define the idea, you need an illustration or a sketch or a 3D model to, to make the idea real, right? So from there, you can find... And actually, I have a podcast episode about kind of this finding the right uh, partner to help you kind of bring your idea to life. But you can go on sites like Fiverr, sites like Upwork, and try to find someone who can sketch it if you don't have that ability or can 3D model it if you don't have that ability. Mm. Um, And that's the next big step, like to make it real, to make it something that you can show someone a board or, or a rendering and they understand what the product is. So the second you start to talk about bringing other people into this crazy, unique, creative idea, right? the next thought people have is, well, no, they're going to steal it. Right. So if I go to someone on Fiverr that I don't know, should I have already patented this idea no. that is just an idea? So how do you protect yourself? Right. You can get an NDA. So before everyone I work with, I have them all sign an NDA. Mm. Um, you should get one that is uh, either made by a lawyer or there are a couple of services and offers online where people have like NDAs you can purchase online. But if you can find a lawyer that's reasonably priced and I have a good friend who's experienced in this industry, then they can offer you something that's tailored specifically to you to make Mm -hmm. sure that it covers the things you want it to cover. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, so you should get definitely send over an NDA. Anybody that would say, no, they won't sign an NDA, any freelancer that's odd and you probably don't want to work with them. Most toy um, people, photographers, 3d modelers, illustrators, as soon as I'm talking to them about a project, they say it before I do. They say, just Got send it. me over your NDA. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, no problem. So it's, okay. it's to, like normal practice. But again, an NDA is still just a piece of paper. It's as strong as, you know, the relationship you have with the person plus 
your bank account to really fight it if you really Mm -hmm. want to, but you have to take a leap of faith in this industry. I think that's the hardest part for people there. They get so scared. They don't want to take the leap of faith, but yeah. Okay. So that's fair. You kind of have to take a risk a little bit and get your idea to become a little bit more concrete by the 3D model. So at the point that you're getting a 3D model, are you doing this because you're then ready to find a manufacturer to create a prototype for you? So I would make, I like to make my prototypes in the U S. Um, even when I worked, uh, for companies, I preferred much more to, even if it's, it's not going to be a final prototype, but I would prefer to buy existing toys or existing craft parts and just kind of hodgepodge together a sample that looks kind of like what I want it to be for Mm -hmm. a couple of reasons. Um, for one reason, it's just, you want to physically see what you had envisioned and feel the value of it to understand like, does this really match up to what I was seeing with my competitors? Is this really like worth $20 like theirs is? Um, But also when you do that, you might realize, oh, maybe I don't need this piece or maybe I should change this piece or maybe this could be different. Also, making prototypes inspires new ideas all the time. Mm -hmm. So that, so I love making prototypes at home. So I would first start with, say you start with it, you get a sketch done professionally and you like the vision of the sketch, you get your 3D model done. I would then go and depending on what type of project it is, if it's plush, work with like a sample plus plush seamstress and she'll make a sample for you. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's plastic, you take your 3D file and you send it to a company like Shapeways and they'll produce a sample for you and you can have that painted and make that. So there's, yeah, there's like so many ways and so simple to make your own sample in the U S mm-hmm. and then the biggest benefit of that is when you start looking for factories, you have something to show them, this is what it has to look like, mm-hmm. you know, or mm-hmm. you, so you, and you've already kind of run into the problems too. You're like, Oh, I noticed the arms don't work well here, you know, and you can tell them I need you to fix this or that. So it helps a hundred percent when you have something physical to give to or show to your factory partner. So up until this point, on average, how much would I have invested to get a prototype? Oh, it can vary so much. So depend, So, assuming you can't do anything, like you have mm-hmm. to hire out help for, like you can't sketch and you can't do 3D. You're like the idea person. You're the business person. Mm-hmm. Um, so like your sketch, it can range because if you find someone who's a student versus someone who's experienced, it can really range. It could be a couple hundred. It could be a thousand. Um, with like revisions, obviously Mm -hmm. not just Mm -hmm. one time sketch. Um, and then 3d modeling again, depending on there, cause the world is so global. Yeah. Yeah. The world is so global right now. You can find someone in another country that'll do it for a fraction of the cost here, Mm -hmm. but then you're giving up some level of control. Right. So it can range, let's say a thousand to about like 4,000. If you're thinking of something detailed, like a figure mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a 3d model. And then to make the sample in shape ways, um, that depends on the size of the model. So if something's about like, let's say nine inches, you can expect it'll cost nine inches tall by like two, three inches wide. You can expect to spend, I'd say like 
like four to five hundred dollars printing that model. But mm-hmm. I'm saying nine inches tall, four inches wide would be like the finished size of this figure. Mm-hmm. So that that would be made of smaller parts. So that's right. where I'm getting that number from. Because mm-hmm. if you're actually printing a solid piece that's that big, it's going to be much more expensive. But if it's like a bunch of smaller pieces mm-hmm. that's going to build something bigger, then it'll. I'm going to estimate around four to five hundred. That also changes depending on the material you choose when you. Of course. So there's like yeah. all these different factors. So my um, guess is the toy industry is a substantial industry and right. the payoff is great because already it's sounding like just the cost of being an innovator who gets to the point where you're ready to pitch to a company that will license with you. Right. Is not It's not a small negligible cost. So you no. have to be willing to invest something in it. You do on some end. So there's, it depends on the... It depends on the project, really. I've seen inventor pitches that were made, like I said, with pieces of other toys kind of put Mm. together. So it depends on what path you want to take at the end. Because if you're just thinking, I'm just going to pitch this concept to a company like Hasbro and see if they want to take it, you can take your mock-up that you made by putting together like a speaker from one toy and a doll from another toy and, and maybe pay for just a nice illustration Mm -hmm. of what the final project product could look like. But you've like kind of, you know, put together this like prototype sample that we press the doll, like the speaker sounds or something like that. Mm -hmm. So you can show them that that will be enough. But sometimes if your concept is more reliant on, let's say I interviewed someone on my podcast and she did this line of dolls that were around, um, empowering women. So mm-hmm. like, um, uh, she was, did like a Frida Kahlo doll, um, um, Hala doll. Yeah. So her product was really reliant on having that finished sample to look like those characters. Mm-hmm. So she had to go further. Right. Mm-hmm. But if you have, if it's more invention based and you can physically take some toys apart and put something together to represent how your invention will work, you can stay at that first prototype stage. And you don't have to go further. Mm. Okay. Got you. Got yeah. You. Okay. So at the point where you're ready to pitch then, that's where you need the expertise of the toy coach so that you know how to match your idea and your prototype to then the right companies, yeah. the right buyers that yeah. works. Yeah, for sure. You want to know, you want to know, I mean, it's a couple of things. You want to know where you should be pitching, mm-hmm. how you should be pitching, um, and how often you should follow up. Oh, <laughs> you know? I, bet you come, I bet you come with email templates and oh yeah, for sure. All, oh all yeah, yeah. For, so I already now, have pitch decks. Oh, or for free on my site. So, okay. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. But for anyone who's now really excited to work with you and bring their ideas to life, how can they find you? How can they work with you? Well, you can find me at thetoycoach.com uh, or you can email me at info at thetoycoach.com. Um, and I'm everywhere on social as the toy coach. So at the toy coach on Instagram, Facebook, even LinkedIn, just the toy coach everywhere. <laughs> wow. Azelle, you shared so much. Yeah. And now I'm so excited to listen back to this and take notes and yeah. see how I can implement this process with my kids because we're home, we're quarantining. So what a time to have a little family project and maybe come out of it with a 
toy that I can license and pitch to people and see on store shelves. Yes. No, it's the perfect time. It is the perfect time. So do that. Check out the first episode. That's the unlocking your ideas episode. So. Oh, great. Well, I really appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you, Ajal. Thank you so much for interviewing me. Thank you. Of course. Take care. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She's Offscript.com. See you on the next one.